Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 310th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on way to win it! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head, long outside shot. Short rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today. Here to get you ready for Carolina and Syracuse. That game will come your way this Saturday at 12 p.m., on the mothership on ESPN. We'll tell you everything you need to know about the Orange. Look at the game from the Carolina perspective. We'll talk about what this game will feel like without Jim Beheim on the sidelines. Give our keys to the game, pick the game, and a whole lot more. But we start every edition of the pod as we always do with the pod thought of the day. And um, we we go to a mad scientist, a mad genius, if you will. Albert Einstein, and his uh, thought is, quote, a person who never made a mistake never tried anything new. And, um, you know, A, when I went to my site where I get the pod thought, this was the thought that was provided for me, so I didn't have to do a whole lot of searching. But also, like, it, it, it applies directly to what Carolina has done and is doing this year. We talked about in the first month of the year some of the defensive adjustments Carolina had made to the way they defended the ball screens, the way they defended the perimeter, and you weren't getting the desired results. Um, And it felt like Carolina wasn't going to improve in that uh, aspect of the game. And now you look at what they've done their last five games, giving up 59 points per game, holding teams to 33% shooting, 22% shooting from the three-point line. Like, yes, you can look at it and say that Carolina's effort, their intensity, 
is a big reason why, but also some of the schematical changes um, and some of the things that Hubert Davis has tweaked from the way that Carolina's done things has also paid dividends. Um, and you got to give him and his staff a lot of credit to realize they had to make adjustments, be willing to make adjustments, um, and now you're, they're, they're being rewarded for um, those changes, and it's a big reason why today Carolina is the seventh-rated defensive team in all of college basketball, according to Ken Palm. Um, and that's not something that I would have thought was possible when the season started, let alone was possible after uh, back-to-back losses in December to UConn and Kentucky. All that brings us to um, this game against Syracuse um, and the Orange will visit Chapel Hill on Saturday afternoon. Another noon start for Carolina on the weekend. Um, and as coaches and players will tell you, as, as much as fans love night games, mid-afternoon games in the ACC are as big and as competitive as any other time slot um, that they play in. And Syracuse centers with the respectable 11 and four record. They're two and two uh, in the in the CR or in the league. Um, their wins have come against Pittsburgh and Boston College. But when they've lost, they've gotten blown out. They lost at Virginia by 22, and they lost at Duke by 20. Um, all that gives them a 73rd ranking in the net. They're one and four in quad one games. Um, if they're going to start to build an NCAA tournament resume, they're going to need a win over Carolina and Chapel Hill to help boost their chances. They do have four players, though, averaging double-figure scoring, led by Judah Mintz, 18.5 points, 2.9 rebounds, 3.9 assists. Uh, He's shooting 43% from the field, 37% from three. Notre Dame transfer J.J. Starling, 11 points per game, 3.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists. He's shooting 43% from the field, 26% from three. Got Chris Bell, 10.9 10.9 points, 2.1 rebounds, 0.8 assists. He's shooting 40% from the field, 36% from three. And then Malik Brown's their last guy in double figures, 10.3 points, 5.9 rebounds, 0.9 assists, shooting 71% from the field, 40% from three. They average 9.7 steals per game, the 20th best mark in the country. And overall, as a defense, they force 15.5 turnovers per game. This, it looks different, um, you know, because Jim Beheim's no longer on the sidelines. Syracuse plays man to man defense in the year of our Lord, 2023, 2024. But as I mentioned, they've got four guys that can score the ball and they defend at a, a pretty high level, and um, they're going to pose a different kind of challenge for Carolina on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, they are. I mean, it, look, in, in that respect, especially what they're doing defensively, they are a different team. But in terms of what they've done so far this season, it's really not that much different than what we've seen from them in years past. Yeah, they have two wins in conference play that, you know, I mean, I mean, it's against some of the bottom tier teams in the ACC, but at least they're not in that bottom tier. But at the same time, I mean, look, you get blown out on the road by Virginia. Virginia is not the same team that they've been in years past. And, I mean, look, they competed with Duke. They always seem to. That's always one of those games for Duke that at least, you know, midway through the game, Syracuse is always hanging around, and Duke just took it to him in the second half. This is one of those teams that Carolina at home 
should be able to handle. Um, now, do I think they're going to win the game by 20? I don't know about that. But, I mean, look, you, you mentioned they've got some guys that can score the ball at a high level. Uh, Judah Mintz is, is probably the one that you're most concerned about, and when he's averaging 18 points a game, how could you not be? Uh, I definitely think he's a guy that Carolina has to be aware of. The one thing that you look for in this game that's probably, you know, that that is a little bit different than, uh, you know, what we've seen here recently uh, is this, this is a team that comes in not shooting the ball at a high level. I mean, NC State wasn't a great shooting team coming in, but they had been playing pretty well offensively. This is a team that's not shooting the ball, especially from the outside, very well. And you wonder, okay, does this is this a team that finds a way maybe to get hot against Carolina? Because the teams that have been playing great offensively, Carolina has been up to the task against. Not saying that Carolina takes this team lightly, but we've seen this team in recent years against Carolina. They've shot the ball pretty well. That's one of the reasons they've remained in games against Carolina before uh, the the Tar Heels eventually pulled away. So we'll see. Um, th- this is w- this is one of those games though that if you are the best team in the ACC like we think you are, you should be able to win this game. And I'm not going to say comfortably, uh, you know, but I I still think this is one of those games at home that you should be able to find a way to win probably by double digits. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think the margin of victory really matters. Um, I I think winning is what matters, especially now that we're we're in conference play. And, And Syracuse, it's too early to play desperate. There will be a motivation factor to not go on the road and get blown out for a third straight time in conference play. You look at their uh, like the way their season has gone under a first-year head coach, it's kind of what they experienced or what we experienced in the first year of, of Huber Davis where once they got into ACC play, they could beat anybody at home, but the second that they left you know, Chapel Hill, we got blown out. That's how this team is whenever they leave the Carrier Dome, and I know that's no longer the sponsor, but – by God, it'll always be the carrier dome to tell me. you what it is. Um, you know, whenever they leave upstate New York, they get blown out. Um, and so that's going to be their challenge for them. And like I mentioned, they're one in four in quad one games. They're 73rd in the net. This is a type of win that could help them start to build and put together an NCAA tournament resume. You look at this game from the Carolina perspective, um, Carolina's 12 and three. Um, they're four and zero in the ACC. Speak, uh, they're seeking their first five and zero start since 2015, 2016 in conference play when Carolina would start eight and zero, win the regular season title, win the tournament title, make the Final Four, and play for the national championship. As of this morning, Carolina is eighth in the net, so the, the uh, a, a healthy ranking um, and still the number one ranking of any team within the ACC. Like Syracuse, Carolina has four players averaging double-figure scoring. Led by R.J. Davis's 20.3 points per game, 3.5 rebounds, 3.4 assists. He's shooting 42% from the field, 40% from three. Armando Baycott second on the team in scoring, 14.5 points, 10.7 boards. He's shooting 52% from the field. Then you got Harrison Ingram, uh, 12.8 points, 7.6 rebounds. Two and a half assists, shooting 43% from the field, 42% from three. And you got Cormac Ryan, the last guy, 10.8 points, 3.4 rebounds, 
1.4 assists, shooting 38% from the field, 29% from three. Carolina is averaging making 18.8 free throws per game. That's now down to ninth most in the country, and they're attempting 24.9 free throws per game. That number's dipped now to 16th in the country, whereas at the start of conference play, Carolina was healthily or, or, or very much uh, well within the inside of the top 10. Before we get to our discussion topic and our keys to the game, this is the first time Carolina's played at home since December 29th, and just the second home game since the first Saturday in December. And you got to feel like the players are going to be energized just to be back at home after three straight uh, wins away from the Smith Center. But also, you know, this isn't a big game yet. Like, or this isn't, you know, this isn't the Duke game. It's not State at home. It's not Miami, Virginia, some of the other games that create some of the better environments. But you got to imagine the Smith Center is going to be packed, and this is going to be a lively fan base that'll be excited to cheer on a top 10 team at home in conference play, something we haven't been able to say so far under Huber Davis. Well, that's the thing. It's been a while, right? 2018 19, since you could really. Uh, go to the Smith Center and see a team that's inside the top 10 in the country. And uh, look, I mean, we we said it the last time we were on here that th- there is a case that can be made, especially if Carolina continues to win, that they could be the best team in the country. When was the last time you could actually say that about Carolina? That's the thing. So, I mean, yeah, fans are going to be excited. You mentioned it. It's only the second time. And by the way, the game that was – that that. Carolina played on December 29th was Charleston Southern on a Friday night. It was sold out. I mean, it was sold out. And look, good crowd that was there, but it's also Charleston Southern. So you wouldn't expect the crowd to be really pumped up. I mean, by the by, by the middle portion of the game, you knew the result. This is a game where, look, I'd love to be in the same scenario, but you would imagine, especially early on in this game, that there will be a lot of people there. There will be a lot of people excited to see this team play. And there should be a palpable buzz inside the Smith Center for the majority of the day. I would expect, you know, a lot of cheers. I, I, I mean, I think this is going to be an environment that it's, it's like you said, it's not going to rank up there with some of the ones when you bring in ranked teams or rivals. But it's, it is going to be a fan base that is hungry to see this team play at home after they went 3-0 and on this road trip. I, I think it's going to be an amazing environment. And that could allow Carolina to really uh, you know get themselves back in a rhythm. I mean, you said it on the last edition of the podcast that offense doesn't necessarily travel. That's the thing that you're hoping to see in this game. And maybe being in a home environment, the familiar gym, maybe that allows Carolina to do that and balance it out with that great defense that they've been playing on the road to start conference play. Yeah, man, it's going to be exciting to see just how this all carries over and um, how, how it, it looks in the Smith Center because we haven't been able to appreciate the defensive effort that we've seen. It's all been away from home outside of the Charleston Southern game. Um, and I do think if Carolina continues to defend the way they've defended the last five games, the home crowd will, will make them know that it's being um, appreciated throughout the fan base. Let's get to our discussion topic for uh, the game against Syracuse. Um, and usually we're talking, you know, about outside stuff and, um, you know, is Carolina ACC contenders, national title contenders, something like that. 
I want to focus just solely on this game because I mentioned at the top, Syracuse has a new head coach, um, and it's no longer Jim Beheim who uh, has been on the sidelines. It feels like since Syracuse became a university and started playing college basketball, Adrian Autry is 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 the new guy on the sidelines, and he's doing a if a you know a, a rather good job replacing the legend that Jim Beheim was. And um, you know, I, I I've kind of talked about it here over the years since they joined the league, like. When Syracuse was a Big East school, they were one of my favorite teams outside of Carolina to watch play. I loved Jim Beheim. I respected the 2-3 zone because I didn't have to watch my team play it. Um, and and I, I was a really big fan of his. Then he shows up in our conference, shows up in my conference, and immediately craps on everything that this conference has stood for, everything the conference built. Um, he took a run at Greensboro, saying that you know the, the, uh, a dump like that should never host a prestigious tournament like the ACC tournament. Not uh, not a great city like you know, I mean Syracuse. When I think of Syracuse, I just think of a lively environment. I mean, so many nightclubs. I mean, just what, well, and the what a thing spot. Was, is that what a the, spot. When the league moved the tournament to New York to appease the northern schools that Lee brought in, didn't show up. Um, Barclays isn't known for, for a great hosting site for the ACC tournament. Um, it'll be hard to get the ACC tournament into the garden because that's a big East country, and rightfully so. And then you just watched how much this man griped and complained like we we make our jokes about Coach K being a, a coach that worked the officials. Jim Beheim was just as bad, if not even worse. Despite going to less Final Fours and winning less national championships. With that said, a giant in the sport and college basketball, as much as any sports or as much as any sport needs their giants. And um, there's there's a reason why interest in the sport has gone down in recent years with. The retirement of Roy Williams, Coach K, Jay Wright, and now Jim Beheim. With that being said, will this game feel any different because um, he's not going to be on the sidelines picking his nose and berating officials? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Adrian Autry's his best pick since that famous booger that we saw on television. Uh, I mean, yeah, of course it is, but I mean, it, at this point, like, is it not as much of a culture shock? Because we've seen Roy and then Kay, like, I feel like at this point, it's just we we kind of are used to these legends stepping away. I mean, yeah, look, it's and you're seeing it throughout the ACC. It'll be weird when you play Notre Dame and it's Micah Shrewsbury, who's a great coach, but it's not Mike Bray who's on the sidelines. We're preparing. I, I think it's sooner rather than later. Hell, it might be after this season, Leonard Hamilton may not be on the sidelines for Florida State. And for us, that'll be weird because that's the only coach we've ever seen coach Florida State. So I I guess at this point, like, yeah, it'll be odd. I mean, I've watched them play, so I've seen Adrian Autry on the sidelines, and he looks natural. He looks like a guy that knows what he's doing. He's coaching artists. It's not like I'm watching Kenny Payne where I'm like, gosh, this dude looks clueless. Um but, I, I mean, yeah, at this point, I guess I, I'm not going to say I'm numb to it, but we've seen, like, I've seen my legendary coach retire. I've seen his replacement come in. And, yeah, it took a little bit. But as we learned pretty quickly, so with Hubert Davis, it felt 
right a lot quicker than we thought it was going to. And so, I mean, it'll it'll be strange to see. I mean, I, I watched Syracuse once, twice maybe this season. I think twice. Um, didn't really see Adrian Autry in the officials' ear quite like Jim Beheim, so that part will be a little bit different. But other than that, I mean, I, I I don't think there'll be a lot of difference until you realize, hey, they're actually playing man defense out there. What the hell's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like it, it won't be as fun beating Syracuse because you're not competing against Jim Beheim, um, a, a guy that. You know, even though a giant in the sport when he joined the league wanted to tear down and crap, oh, he, he became a villain. You yep. know, cra- and you crapped on guys. everything that this conference stands for. Um, and, and so, don't get it twisted. I still want to beat Syracuse's butt. I still want to run them in the ground. But it's not going to be as enjoyable as it was when Jim Beheim was out there playing um his 2-3 defense because he couldn't recruit it, you know he couldn't recruit good enough to play man to man defense so um but you're you're right this is the new reality of college basketball um it's why the duke game last year even though for us like the intensity's still there you're not competing against coach k um you, you know you mentioned Leonard hamilton i mean that retirement is, is coming very very soon, Tom Izzo's days at Michigan State. Um, they're they're you know they're they're getting numbered. He, you know his career is getting shorter. Um, and so when you play these legendary programs that don't have you know that are going to be going through transitions at their head coaching spot, it will feel different. But nonetheless, still want to beat their rear ends. Do you? I, I really quickly. Do you worry about in the conference? the lack of villainous head coaches. Like, I mean, maybe Shire can get there, although we've we've met Shire. He seems like he's a pretty nice guy overall. Like, Kevin Keats is not really, like, the most polarizing guy. I mean, I kind of wonder, like, because you're right, Bayheim was kind of a villain it, because of the stuff with Greensboro, the, the, the constant complaining, um, just the attitude that he had in press conferences. Coach K was that way with the chest pat and you know some of his responses and pressers. Like I, I wonder, like, are is this conference sort of lacking that villain moving forward? We we don't like Tony Bennett a lot, but again, even that, like Tony Bennett's a nice guy. We just hate the fact that he won so much. I mean, is that a concern for you with the conference? I mean, it's not really a concern because you look up and down the the history. There was maybe a villain at the conference at at most. Um, and there were some years, like in the mid-2000s, you didn't really have a villainous head coach because Carolina and Duke were beating the crap out of everybody. You didn't like Maryland, but I never viewed Gary Williams as a villain. Um, like Jeff Capel and Kevin Keats could be those guys. Yeah, Capel's a good one, Because yeah. of their personalities and their attitudes, not going to be here long enough. Like, there's a very good chance both are fired this the, the, this March if they don't turn, especially for Pittsburgh, if they don't turn their season around. So... Um, like for me, I don't worry about it just simply because I hate so many other coaches that if, if, if it means I don't got to hate the coaches in the conference, that's a lot less hatred in my heart. Um, and it's something that, you know, we should all strive to have a little bit less in as human beings. Let's now give our keys to the game, um, for Carolina Syracuse. The first key I have is value possessions and not because it's going to be a limited possession game. I think Syracuse, you got four guys averaging double figure scoring, they can get up and down the floor um, and, and, and play a little bit more openly, but they force a lot of turnovers. I mean, you average 9.7 steals. 
and you turn the opponent over over 15 times per game, um, Carolina just simply can't can't do that. They got lucky the other night committing 13 turnovers and it not costing them. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't know if Syracuse is a better offensive basketball team than NC State. I'd be hard pressed to think that Carolina holds Syracuse to 27 percent shooting. Um, and, and if State would have converted on some of those turnovers, the game A may have been closer. B you may have had a different result. Um, and, and so this is something where you really just want to see Carolina clean it up a little bit. Um, you're going to have to handle the pressure and their length in the passing lanes. So your pass has got to be more crisp, more uh, concise. But, um, you know, this can't be a game where Carolina is loose with the ball. Just because you might play 75, 80, some odd possessions doesn't mean that you need to turn it over 15, 17 times per game. Carolina needs to be strong with the ball, smart with the ball, and not give the Orange easy run out uh, transition opportunities. Yeah, overall from the field, they are a better – uh, shooting team than NC State. So, yeah, you would imagine that you want to be a little bit smarter with how you handle the basketball because if you do turn it over, they probably are going to convert. The good thing is is that, yeah, I mean, Carolina turned it over 13 times. Um, definitely one of their worst outputs in that category this season. Um, but, look, that was a focus going into that game. It had to be. If we're talking about it here on the podcast, you know that Hubert Davis is stressing it. And I think the fact that it's going to be stressed yet again, I mean, it's a similar game plan. Now, the thing is, is that, I mean, you saw Elliot Cadeau struggle a little bit in the game against State. You would imagine that he's a guy that is just so smart with the basketball Um, That's the reason why he's here at Carolina now as opposed to waiting a year. I I feel like he's a guy that's going to be able to adjust. Um, You know, and and some of the other turnovers for Carolina, I mean, I think it's just about being smart, not trying to force things. There were a couple of entry passes the other night that were somewhat uh, reminiscent of what we saw the last couple of years, which is something we've done a good job of eliminating for the majority of this season. That's something you, you've got to be smart with in this game. But the good news is is that you know Syracuse, they create a lot of turnovers, but since they're such an aggressive team, it feels like you're going to have opportunities to score. If you're Carolina, again, limit it to about 10 to 12 turnovers. If it's in that range, I feel pretty good about where it's at. And if you can do that, I feel like you're going to have a pretty good chance to win because I just don't think Syracuse has the horses to keep up with you. The second key I have is to contain Judah Mintz. Um, this is another really skilled offensive player that Carolina's matched up against. He's just as good as Blake Henson, just as good um, as P.J. Hall, guys that Carolina have played and shut down um, here to start conference play. And I think, you know, this is why we're as confident as ever. Like, if a, if a guy averaging 18.5 points showed up, you'd be concerned he's going to get 25-26, have a career night, um, and put together a performance that could lead their team to an upset win in the Smith Center. I think we're all very calm that's not going to happen because Carolina's defending at a high level, starting in its backcourt with Davis, Cadeau, and you mentioned Cormac Ryan's defensive improvement's been um, as big a reason why Carolina's taken a step forward. But off the bench, you're getting great contributions as well from Seth Trimble. I mean, we've seen Hubert Davis here in conference play use multiple defenders to wear down the opponent. 
Saw it the other night against NC State. You had four different guys guard DJ Burns throughout the course of the game. And by the eight-minute timeout, um, he was he was exhausted. He had nothing left in the second half, and Carolina was able to eventually pull away and get a and get and earn a comfortable win. But Mintz is a guy that, you know, everyone thought was going pro. Um, because of the way he can put the ball in the basket, um, you know, the shooting numbers aren't the most efficient, you know, from the field. He's a 43% uh, shooter from the field, but he is shooting 37% from three. And we, we've, we've lamented and we, we've really talked about how well Carolina has defended the three-point line. At some point, opponents are going to make shots from the perimeter. Shooting's too good. Um, at this day and age, and you're not going to hold teams to 22% shooting from three forever. So this has to be another game where Carolina is on their P's and Q's defensively because they're going up against one of the better guards this conference has to offer. Yeah, and and look, the big thing is they've got to be able to take away the lane with him. I mean, yeah, he's shooting 37% from the outside, but he's only taken 43 threes the entire season. So he's a guy that we've seen it plenty of times before, that wants to get downhill and finish at the rim, and he's as good in the in the conference as just about anybody at doing that. Um, I, I I've said it. I, I think both Elliot Cadeau and Cormac Ryan have taken steps forward, like you just said. Um, and, and I think you know Seth Trimble is a guy that yeah he he's able to be deployed more often if you need him now. What he's doing on the offensive end, his production is honestly very similar to what we've seen from Elliot Cadell. So having him out there on the floor really doesn't hurt you if you're Carolina. I would expect, look, if Elliot Cadell is struggling, use Seth Trimble. The biggest key in this game, around this key, is make somebody else beat you in this game. Because Judah Mintz is a guy that, yeah, he could have a career night. There are guys that are good enough around him to be supporting guys. But you want to have to make a guy like J.J. Starling beat you. Last year, that probably wouldn't have been the smartest thing. He hasn't really settled in all that well at Syracuse. Not that he's playing poorly, but he's not playing at the level that they thought he would. Chris Bell, not that type of player. Not a guy that really takes over games where he can affect you. That's the guy that you have to take away from beyond the arc. He shoots over six a game. So he's an extremely aggressive scorer from the outside. That's where he gets the majority of his points. There's not a guy that can consistently score uh, possession after possession for this team outside of Judah Mintz. So if you take away Judah Mintz, you've got a really good chance to shut down this team offensively. And if you do that, this is a team that's averaging allowing more than 70 points per game. And you could say, well, yeah, they're averaging uh, allowing that because of their four losses. But yeah, even in some of their wins in the non-conference, still allowed a lot of points. So it's not the greatest defensive team you take away their best player, you're going to have a hell of a shot. Yeah, the last key to the game is an offensive key for Carolina is to play inside out just to get this offense back in gear. Like, you look at the three ACC wins on the road, the most points you scored were 70 at Pittsburgh, which is a quality number. It's it's, it's a winning number when you defend the way that you've defended. But also... Carolina's got to get its offense back being efficient. Um, and the best way to do that is to establish a p- uh, presence on the post, on the inside in Armando Baycott, um, and, and and really attack from there because you know that they're going to double him. They're going to crash on him. Well, then you're going to kick the ball out to open shooters and um, guys that can put the ball on the floor and drive it at 
at the basket. Um, and I, you, you mentioned that this is a team that's giving up over 70 points per game on the season. They gave up over 80 points at, on the road at Virginia. And Virginia is not known for playing um, offense at a really high level. So this, to me, is a is a get-right game for Carolina offensively. You, you need to still do what you're doing defensively because I do think that their offensive struggles have – Made it more imperative that they that they dig that they dig in defensively and get the stops and get the rebounds. Um, but you got to get this offense back getting in what we saw back in in early December because you're going to have to play some teams later in the conference season that you're going to have to score 75, 70, 85 points despite playing really really good defense because there are some really good offensive teams in this league. And so I think if Carolina can just establish an inside presence to Ramondo Baycott and run its offense from that way, they're poised to have their best offensive performance of the season in conference play. Well, it'll be interesting because they got a guy in Naheem McLeod who is 7-4. So this will be definitely a different type of challenge for Armando, um, but I do think that you know he's seven four. He's probably not a guy that's built very sturdy. So this is a guy that Carolina, if they get the ball inside to him, they can probably expose him, especially with the back down game. Now they got to be smart. He's a guy that averages almost two blocks per game. So yeah, there are going to be some shots that are contested at the rim. They still have Benny Williams, who's there, who can test a lot of shots at the rim as well. But yeah, I think my thing that I want to see from them is get to the lane, get to the free throw line, because this is a team in Syracuse that averages allowing 16 free throws per game. So I think for Carolina, you want to get downhill. We saw it the other night against uh, NC State that when this team started uh, really committing to getting to the basket, they were able to either finish inside or or they were able to draw fouls. I think that's got to be part of your plan in this game as well. Get some of those big guys in foul trouble and force Syracuse to have to put some guys on the floor. They're they're a relatively deep team. They have nine guys that play uh, double-digit minutes, but at the same time, there's a reason why this team has not been successful late in these road games. I think if Carolina can really wear this team down, uh, especially you know inside, I think you're right. They have a chance to pick up a pretty significant win. Carolina enters with a 91.1% chance to win the game, according to ESPN's analytic department. Who wins the game and why? I think Carolina wins the game. Uh, you mentioned it. The Smith Center is going to be pretty lively with the fact that this is really the first significant game that Carolina has played there in nearly a month. So I think that there's going to be just so so much excitement. The players are going to be excited to be back in the Smith Center as well. Uh, Syracuse is a team that, look, they're probably going to be playing a little bit desperate, although it still is early in conference play. I think Syracuse, you know, they, they deal some blows early with Carolina, but I think Carolina is just too much. I think it'll be somewhat similar to what you've seen from some of the games earlier in the year for Carolina, where it might be close at halftime. Carolina makes an early run at the start of the second half, and they pull away. I expect this team to get downhill, get to the lane, 
R.J. Davis, I think, will get back on track being at home. Armando Baycott has been a different player in the Smith Center than he's been on the road. Expect him to have a big day as well. And I think you'll see the rebounding carryover for Carolina, even though this is a team that has a little bit of size. They're not a great rebounding team. I think that'll be a big part of it. I think Carolina wins this game, and I think they'll do it somewhere between 12 and 15 points. Pretty significant victory. Yeah, I I think Carolina wins. Um, I, I think they're excited to be back at home, play in front of what's going to be, you would imagine, a lively and raucous crowd in the Smith Center on Saturday afternoon. But I also think this team's just hungry. We we hear them talk after after wins. They're not satisfied. They're they're not resting on their laurels. They know that there's more work to do. There's more wood to chop. And the only way to do that is continue to keep winning and continue to keep building and to continue to keep climbing. This is the first time we've seen under Hubert Davis that natural growth and progression as the season moves along from November to December, December now into January. I think you'll see cleaner offensive games for R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott. I think Cormac Ryan is on the precipice of really busting out and becoming that third perimeter scorer that Carolina needs. And we all know no matter what Harrison Ingram does, he's going to play with 100% effort, and he's going to give Carolina uh, the best chance that he can do to win the game. And I think that's why when it's all said and done, Carolina will find itself 5-0 and in the ACC for the first time since 2015-2016. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, guys. Before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website, theheeltoughblog.com, for full coverage of the Syracuse game. Preview recap will all be posted on the website. Ashton has uh, quit being lazy, and he's wrote an article as well. Huh. Um, and he wrote about what's uh, what's really fueling Carolina's midseason turnaround. You can find that article on the website as well. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.